0: Anyone and everyone who bore witness to the phenomenon that will now be an event etched on the history of the sport in the United States knows that fundamentally, something profound happened at Theodore Wirth Park in Minneapolis this past weekend. But what was it exactly? I think it's going to take a little time and reflection to dive deep into what drove that kind of outpouring for our sport, and what it might mean, at large, for the future of U.S. skiing. But in the meantime, I want to grab an athlete with the experience still fresh in their mind, who might give us a reasonable reaction to what they felt. Kevin Bolger is a Midwestern boy, living the World Cup skier dream, partnered with one of the champions of the sport with a unique worldview, living and training in Sweden for a good portion of the year. Kevin and I were going to chat anyway, just about the remainder of his season, so I nabbed him for the few questions for this episode of Threshold. So, Kevin, welcome back to Threshold. Great to have you here.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chad. Good to be back.
0: So, Kevin, you spent a few years living and training in Sweden. The World Cup hasn't stopped in North America since before COVID, so half a decade ago. If you calculate that out a little bit, it's nearly half a ski generation, at least on the World Cup standard, that hasn't raced off the European continent, besides the Beijing Olympics. So, based on the folks you know and how big a deal, or how big of a deal was it for the Swedish people that you know, and maybe some other international skiers you know, that didn't get on their national team tri- trips for this trip to Minneapolis? Do you sense? that the ones left back were bummed out and e- even before they saw what happened in Minneapolis?
1: Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think, or I know that um, a few of the guys here in Fallon, actually, that I get to train with um, who are still in that U23 range um, were kind of struggling with the idea, like, if I get selected for U23s and Minneapolis World Cup, like, or North America World Cup, what do I do? Like, this is a huge predicament. And I think for many people the obvious choice is like you know you're younger take u 23 so that's what you should that's the route you should go but i think with the north american world cup it was put people in a little bit of a predicament on like what what should i do because they realize how big it was going to be And, and and that goes alongside with a bunch of the norwegians that i know that um you know before the world cup was coming to north america um there was the the rumblings the mumblings of Norway not bringing a full squad, that the right. team only within the red group was gonna be allowed to come. And athletes that I knew that were just outside that red group were, yeah, I'd say pretty pissed off because yeah. you know, they're, they're still the, they're not in that red group, but they're still the best, you know. Um, so they were trying to figure out, you know, can I pay, can I pay for myself just to go, oh, cover this. Because yeah. Yeah. also they understood how unique this opportunity yeah. was gonna be. Yeah. it's really cool. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of people were hyped, and I, especially when you had every American over in Europe, you know, building up to it, saying like, hey, we got 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50,000 fans that are going to be turning out yeah. for this World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, that's we were doing gonna, our part yeah. in hyping
0: it. That's, that's what I was going to ask you. So, you know, we all heard the ticket sales and there weren't really tickets. And I think that's part of the, part of the issue here and part of the analysis that we have to look at long term, maybe not you and I, but I think everybody, you know, in, in assessing what happened, there were free tickets. And and in that respect, you know, I was kind of surprised that I, I was kind of half expecting that only half the people would show up who took tickets. Like they'd kind of, yeah, I'm going to go or not going to go. But but it, um, so do you think that hype, was that the hype? Is that what everybody felt was like, or was it just a trip to the United States as well? Is it, or was it both?
1: I, I think it checks both boxes. I think people were a trip to the U.S., but also that we were hyping it up so big. So the, the ticket sales and the rumors that were going around that this was going to be like a non-ordinary world cup. It was going to be something truly special.
0: Right. So, um, when the, t- when you were kind of, you were, I think you kind of arrived around, did you arrive, you arrived in Canmore. I mean, we can, Canmore was really great. I think Canmore did a great job of doing what they've always done. But again, it's like Canmore isn't a, isn't a major metropolitan, um, center. So, did you feel like in Canmore there was a sort of a pre-buzz to Minneapolis, or or did or did, it, did it just you know talk about that? Talk about that transition from Canmore flying to Minneapolis and how you felt as an athlete and watching you know these Swedish people, you know the Swedish national team um, arrive in Minneapolis. Was it kind of cool to arrive in a big city? I mean we don't we don't the FIS doesn't go to big cities very very often.
1: No, we don't. And I mean yeah, so going back looking at like coming into canmore and i mean but even before that coming into north america like when we come to north america it happens once and it's at the end of the season right and i think some people i was talking to kind of had this feeling like oh we're flying to north america the season's over because that's what we're used to um so it was this kind of strange feeling everyone could, one went their separate ways some people got to go home for like you know a week or so but then um you know getting to i think Canmore, like you said like they did a great job at organizing it was a great great courses everything worked out really well um but it was that like that warm-up you know the right, hype right. was there it was you know we did have a good crowd the canadians turned out for the canadians that were racing right, and right. even i was quite surprised at how many americans came and right. um, you saw those nnf fan bibs walking all around oh and, yeah yeah so it was a it was a nice little hype up i think um Nothing out of the ordinary, um, and that's nothing to say anything bad about the Canmore World Cup. You know, but it was good right. fans, for oh, yeah. sure, especially yeah. on Sprint Day. But in comparison to what Minneapolis offered, I mean, phew, not even close.
0: Um, right. it, it, yeah, one of the things that I always think about, like, I personally, I love Canmore. Canmore is, like, my favorite place in North America. And I think, like, yeah. you know, I was kind of wondering, like, I got kind of like the Minnesota fear thing, like, going, oh, man. You know, are people going to think Minneapolis sucks because it's not as pretty as Canmore? You know, like that, that inferiority complex that we Midwesterners sometimes carry around with us in our hearts. But um, but you know, yeah. So Canmore's always going to put its best foot forward just because it's so beautiful. Um, but so just talk a little bit about like landing in, in Minneapolis and and arriving that first day. What was the buzz like around the athletes? Because I don't I don't know how many people showed up for, for training days. Well, you guys, your first day on the course. Like, was were there a lot of people watching training?
1: Yeah, I mean, when we it was fun because we flew in on a Wednesday before the Minneapolis World Cup, um, and the Swedes they came a day later, Um, so it was kind of fun because we were there earlier. Um, Some people started posting pictures of the venue, and this was pre that six inches of snow they got, and uh, you know the rumors were like, oh my God, there's no snow, what is going to be crazy, Um, but then yeah, then we got that snow. Um, people got on course, and the rumors of, oh, it's in Minneapolis, it's on a golf course, it's going to be kind of flat, slowly started to shift right. as people got on the course and you got to ski the sprint course and ski the distance course and see what it had to offer. And I think people were quite surprised on how yeah. much more challenging it was going to be. Right, um, and that's when I think the buzz really started. And, you know, there was—I don't think there was that many fans that I can remember just on like the the pre-race day. Um but I, I remember talking with with Maya before they traveled, because they traveled that, that day later, and um, they, I think they were all a little bit jealous that they were not flying. The same day we all did, and we're coming a yeah. day later. They're like, "Why are we not there now? We should be there yeah. now." Because it was. You can't compare the beauty to Canmore because that place is fantastic, is right. amazing. Right. But right. Minneapolis has something so special to offer. I mean, we we're staying right downtown, right, right. Um, which yeah. was so cool. And then yeah. um, just, I think that first day when I was skiing around with pre-race day, I saw more yeah. foreigners skiing around with their phone out, recording. Right. You know the course because you could right. see the skyline. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So it was it was really cool. It was really cool. Yeah. I think yeah, most Europeans were pleasantly psyched.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was trying to do that myself cuz I was in the same hotel as you guys and it's it, and I stay there a lot. Like that's, that's kind of like if I have to stay in a hotel in Minneapolis, I, I can usually get a pretty good rate at that Hyatt Regency. I love that spot. It's right near, by Symphony Hall in Minneapolis. But what's really cool about it is right on Nicollet Mall. It's a it's a bus is only buses can travel on that on that street. And I remember I was I went to get coffee and I walked back and I saw Volnes uh um amundsen and um and norto going for a jog and kind of the no- you could see the novelty of running in a metropolitan area with skyscrapers totally on their face like this is like an american experience
1: yeah yeah and then i remember i, I flew in even a little bit later that day than everyone else did the first day and i saw, i was talking with uh, Harold munson yeah. and i was like oh yeah i saw you posted you guys were running in the city and he was like yeah, it was crazy this the, you know the buildings we ran past the the twin stadium the u.s yeah. bank stadium where the vikings yeah. play and like yeah. it just like the the joy in his voice and his eyes he was right. just like he was yeah. so psyched and i was like wow this is really cool you know because yeah. yeah. for some of us we think of you know us midwesterners and americans you know minneapolis we don't really no. view it that way but then no. you get to view it through someone else's eyes and someone right. else's first
0: experience and you're like right hell yeah this is cool yeah it's a big american city experience for those guys which you know they don't get you know it's not no. new york city it's not la but it's still it's big america you know and i think it's cool i mean if you consider that you know four million people roughly in the twin cities metropolitan area i mean that's like that's bigger than oslo helsinki and and stockholm to, together, like it's a bigger city than those three combined, so it's pretty cool. So I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep moving here. You are, a rel- you're a relatively local, local competitor out on the course, and one of maybe a handful of American skiers who actually ever raced at Worth before this World Cup. So what I want to pick at is how, how do you feel being in the USA suit skiing through that roar actually affected performance? I mean, your qualifier you felt wasn't great when you finished up but you still got through and, and my point is what would you would you fe- did you feel the way you felt that day about your qualifier do you think you would have gotten through in, in, in another venue that didn't have all that roaring going on based on how you felt
1: no chance no chance <laughs> I mean and I, the the energy and the feel that you like I was able to pull from from the crowd that day right it's, so I've never felt that, that feeling ever before and right. it even started like any World Cup I've ever done, we you show up to like uh, to warm up, you test skis, et cetera, et cetera, before your qualifier, and there's there's a handful of people there getting ready for the day, <laughs> right? And right. I haven't seen numbers on what the turnout was for spectators, but when I was out testing skis, I was telling myself like, relax, relax. <laughs> Because yeah. there were so many fans out there hyping, just so excited. And right. I'm like, I have, I'm in like an hour and a half from where I race start. I, <laughs> I can't be doing intervals right now because of the crowd.
0: You right, know? right, so right. It, totally.
1: Yeah, it was, the, it was really cool. And so I think, yeah, the, the energy that the crowd gave to a lot of skiers was pretty awesome. And usually when I'm out there, like Matt Wick comes out on like one of the last coaching zones. And he's always kind of that guy that says... You know, you're ripping fast right now, or you need to you need to put the booster jets on. Like you gotta go. Right. Right. And I remember coming up that tubing hill. Um, and I, I could see him peripherally, but I heard nothing. <laughs> and for people that know Matt, he he's right. a loud he's loud. Right, he's right. really loud. And it it was there was nothing there. Wow. And it was like, I don't, I don't care what he's saying, this crowd and I just I just kept going. It was like, I'm just going. Um so yeah it was that, that was damn cool.
0: I'm going to appeal to you all for as as you know that this Threshold podcast is really a labor of love on my part. I love these sports and um and uh, we do have some great sponsors. We've had a long history of sponsorship with a couple of, with a couple of brands and they've been great. But we don't have a sponsorship for this particular podcast. So I'm going to appeal to you to go to our to be a patron of of Threshold podcast with Chad Somala. It's really simple. You click on Patreon link in our description and you can become a member and h- help keep this in Chris and my forefront so that we want to continue to bring you this, this great content that we do with Threshold. And so with that, I ask you to become a, 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 a patron of Threshold and thank you in advance for doing so. How psyched are you that you got through to, to, the, to the heats? I mean, you ended up having a pretty good heat. It seemed like you warmed up a little bit, maybe skied a little, skied a little more relaxed, and, 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 that, and that qualifier got you, got you in a better spot. You finished 20, I think, 21st on the day, was it right? 20th, 20th. 20th, 20th, yeah. 20th, so, 20th yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, was, I knew when I finished, I, uh, as times were developing and like Johannes came through, and um, I was about seven seconds back, and I know that that's a pretty dangerous time back. Right. Right. I'm always aiming to be about five because that's, you know, that's safe. You know, five seconds, you're safe. Six seconds is borderline, you should be okay. But anything after that, like, you just know it's going to be really tight. Right. Um, And I knew that. And then my name, you know, kept trickling down and down and down. But then everyone kept saying, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And I've been in a position where I've been 30th before. Right. And literally the very last starter has knocked me out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I am not going to count myself in. By any means, you know, I got, there's Jack Young still out there who ripped. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Johnny Hagenbach was out there who just got third at U23s.
0: Right. right. You know, so
1: I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not counting anything yet. And, uh, but once, once my name did turn green, I knew I was safe. Um, that was a a huge weight off my shoulders. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I did carry too much pressure on myself and I was too nervous coming into the qualifier and that's what affected me. Um, and I was able to loosen up for the heats. Yeah. But, uh, it getting, like, getting through, getting through it, and being able to like yeah. race was, that was yeah.
0: nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you get another shot at it and you're in the heats. I mean, it was just, it, it's a different, it's a different beast than just the qualifier, which is, you know, I talked to Zach a little bit about after the race. And I think that, you know, I think that that was a really meaningful thing for him to being from Bloomington and, and you being from the Midwest. That's kind of why I wanted to hit on that. Um, but you have, you also have a unique portal into what perhaps is one of the most dominant women's team in recent memory and possibly ever, in in, in Maya's Swedish team. And uh, so, what do you what do you think an experience like this last weekend did for a team like theirs? They did really well, first of all. Um, you know, Jonas suddenly kind of turned her turned her season around, got her first two wins in a row, and shows she's in great shape. How will kind of Minneapolis resonate with? Do you think with with the Swedish women's team that's so good right now, I mean, are they going to push to want to come back?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything I've heard from, you know, Maya, Frida, Lynn, um, was, uh, and any other Swede I've talked with, Emma, um, you know, they've had nothing but good things to say. You know, and as they say it, they're just grinning, just smiling, right. like so psyched. And, and I think that goes for, for any skier i mean that you know after a race you know when fist does a pre-race interview or post-race interview i don't think i don't think one person said didn't say we want to come back <laughs> everyone said we want to come back um and we've i've been talking with maya about it and like there, there's been some comparison to like some World cups and orissa Ham a few years ago that was nuts right. and yeah that was great um even world champs that was in Falloon in twenty was at seventeen that was crazy fifteen yeah, and and everyone knows that those were nuts turnouts right and right. that the fact that this World Cup in Minneapolis is they're comparing that to those yeah. I mean that it's is in the same category that that speaks for itself I think. yeah it's so
0: cool pretty freaking cool okay so let's analyze a little bit cross country ski racing is kind of like universally known as struggling a bit at large in the med- as a media product I mean. There's already, high, there were headlines about that even just a couple of, like yesterday. So just, just the access to it in any form, live TV or tape TV or streaming or on demand. It's not like there's a credible, steady platform for the sport in our country. So how do you as a ski racer, kind of the biggest stakeholder in the whole thing, process how this phenomenal event affects your professional approach to making a survivable income to keep doing it? You know, where does Post Minneapolis World Cup, meet your economic reality as a ski racer. I mean, it's
1: uh, that's a good question. Um, it, it's no secret that this is a slowly fading sport, and especially financially for a lot of skiers. Um, but I think a World Cup like Minneapolis is something to keep the keep the spirit and the hype going. Right, and it's something that that this sport needs. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be going back to these places where the the psych and the hype is real. Um, you know, it's you see it in biathlon that they have crazy turnouts every single weekend, right? And we need to figure out a way to be able to make that happen. And I think as many athletes even are saying like. FIS needs to, to listen to athletes when it, t- when it comes to why we like certain venues. And I think you'll, s- you'll see more athlete turnout. You'll see more athletes sticking with the sport. If, we're doing, if you're go- able to go to these World Cups like Minneapolis or um, Orissa Ham that happened a few years ago with, with really good spectator cra- turnouts, um, and you'll see more, more viewing. I mean, okay. I've been skiing here now the last few days, and everyone here that I haven't seen in a while are like, oh, how is Minneapolis? And I was like, it was sweet. And it was amazing. they were like, yeah, we could feel the energy through the TV.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and
1: you, you just don't have that response from people who are watching it. Right. Um, so that, that, that's pretty unique, I think.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> if you could put a finger on why you think um, so many Americans showed up in the way they did for this sport when they did. I mean, we all know Jesse is, is popular in America, but um, there seems to be more to it than just the Jesse factor, too. Can you put your finger on anything that you think maybe made this what it was?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure we were teased, you know, two years ago. Right, right. You know, we we were just there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that helped a little bit. But I also, of course, the Jesse factor, but, you know, that aside, I think you're seeing – um a men's team uh men's domestic skiers stepping outside or stepping away from a shadow that's been casted on men's skiing in the u.s right right which has been casted by a really strong women's team right you know i'm not saying anything bad about that but you know you're seeing ben Ogden get on the podium right you're seeing jc schoonmaker get on the podium you're seeing us sprinters into you know semis almost every single weekend you're seeing um, results from Gus Schumacher, Zanna McMullen, just, you know, all these right. guys ripping top 30s. Right. Not right. not periodically, but consistently. So consistently, right. Exactly. You know, so never had see, that. No, exactly. And it's the first time this has happened. And I think people are recognizing that. And they're, they're starting to turn out for both men and women. Um, or I should say women and the men. Because, right. you know, we're both we're both just slowly becoming more and more dominating and currently i think right now we're third in the nation's cup right um which with a few weekends left we've got to keep throwing down but it's just so cool to see and i mean maya hit the, the nail on the head too it's people were there in minneapolis to to watch ski racing and it wasn't just the americans it was every single skier out there um you know and i I was talking with uh, a friend who, who does the media for FIS, and she says, you know, what would you compare this World Cup to? And I was like, I mean it's it's up there with like the fifty K at Holman Colon in terms right. of spectators. But in right. my opinion, the only the main difference is in Holman Colon, people are out there to party. Right. Here in Minneapolis, people I mean, people were partying for sure. Right. But I'd say ninety five percent of the people out there, out there were there to watch ski racing. We're right. there to watch skiers. Um, and, and you could hear it in the crowd. I mean, when we, when JC and I stepped up in our, our quarter final and, you know, we got our hands going to hype up the crowd as it introduced us, you could hear the buzz around around us and it it was, it's really cool. It's, it's, it's been a really special year and, um, you know, and just to like, even uh, to say like, you know, with Gus winning on, uh, on Sunday, I mean, that, uh, there's no words that can describe how awesome that was and what that has just done for the sport in the U
0: S so. Yeah. It it took a, it took a remarkable situation and made it magical really is what what I think it did. It's, you know, it went from remarkable to magical to almost unbelievable. And and that's what I was going to ask you next. It's like from an athlete's perspective, somebody who's kind of a veteran of the world cup, veteran of U S skiing, (coughs) excuse me. Um, where you know how do we how do we or fis or or the entire community how do we make sure this isn't just a flash in the pan or how do we how do you how can you see us capitalizing on it for the future of the sport from the from your, your perspective
1: yeah I mean, that's this one thing i think people are all you know we've been saying we want to bring the world cup back to minneapolis we got to come back we got to come back and there is that little bit of fear and doubt in the back I think of probably not just my head but everyone's that like if it were to come back, would it be as good right. as it just as it just was? Right. And the initial response is yeah, of course it will be. Like, you know, yeah. American skiing, American culture, we're gonna show up, we're gonna be psyched. Weird. Um but it's it, it's hard to say. Right. But uh uh like like I said before, I mean you have the Jesse factor, Jesse's thrown down right now. She's leading the you know leading the overall World Cup. You have um, all the other women following and now you have, like I said too, you have Ben, JC, Gus now right. getting podiums. And I think now that you're seeing more um, – what's the word I'm looking for? More diversity in right. you know, the top 10 or the in the podium, that's that's just changing the sport a little bit. And it's only going to help, I think, move the World Cup in a more North American direction, which I think is going to, in return, help the sport.
0: Do you think there's – do you think that part of what we witnessed is is the novelty and are you, I mean I think you kind of talked about it are you, do you sense that the novelty will wear off if we come back?
1: No I, I really don't um, you know and I think the best part about it, I mean, the best part about it is I mean people, people know that Nordic skiing is deeply rooted within the Midwest um, you know there's a huge turnout and I, w- I would be really curious to know on how many people were there Saturday, Sunday that are, you know, if there was 40,000 fans, let's just say on Sunday, how many of those fans were from the Midwest? 50, 60, 70% of them? You maybe know, so more. I think yeah. maybe more, you know, it's, so it's, you know, I think, but I think culturally, even if it was out in, out West or up in Alaska or out East, you'd have the same turnout. I mean, there's, yeah. there's hype all around because especially now you, you know, you have, Ben Ogden you know you throw a world cup out east Yeah You got the Ogden factor You know you, th- you throw it up in Alaska you got the Schumacher Factor you know it's, it's sweet you, know, you got Americans racing fast from all over The world or all over the US and I think you're Going to have that hype factor everywhere
0: So just with this weekend in the Rear view mirror, let's wrap it up and what, do, what does this do for your own Motivation to keep ski racing at the top level
1: Yeah guys. That's a, that's awesome awesome question because I was I was thinking about this the other day and or the, on the bus ride to the day of the sprint. Um, you know, there's a few of us on the World Cup that have you know, been doing this for six, seven years, eight, nine, ten years, and we're still doing it. And, you know, when you have 100% of your season in Europe, you, I mean, of course, you know there's fans back home supporting you that are psyched, but you kind of start to wonder – how many, you know, are people really following us? Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of like, what is American skiing? Right. You know, what, what are we doing over here? You know, we get the parents that come over every now and again to hype us up and that's awesome. And you, he- you hear about it. And then as we are I was on the bus going to the Theodore Worth Park, the morning of the sprint. And I saw the amount of people walking on the sidewalks to the venue. And then I saw how many people were there even before the qualifier. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah,
0: This
1: is, this just destroys all the doubts I've ever had. And, you know, I, I will never have to think about that again because that is so damn motivating for me now moving forward. And the fact that I ever even thought of like doubting it is, you know, kind of makes me upset because it was so damn cool. And I had skiers, I had foreigners coming up to me like, Hey, do you re- do the people here realize that there's heats after the qualifier? It's not just the qualifier. And I'm like, honestly, there's probably some people that don't know that,
0: but who right. cares? This is awesome. <laughs> right. I, I was I was in the mix zone at that time, and and I had Johan olsen from the Via Play Sweden. Yeah. And he came up to me and said, "Chad, you can be really proud of this." And I said, "Johan, it's just the qualifier." And he, and he yeah. laughed. He goes, "Yeah." Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, that, th- just those contexts, those international contexts, are really exciting. And you know, I hope that we can turn this into. I mean, we the one of the one of the the paradoxes of this whole thing for me, as the as a guy who talks about the sport in, in the media and covers the races, is that we don't have consistent coverage of this sport in the media. You know, we don't have it in 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 major certainly major streams of media. Um, how do you think? that I mean how does that affect you in your decision to keep ski racing the fact that we don't have this consistently covered in the media
1: yeah I mean it's funny after every race we need to walk through the mix zone and you know that's where all the media is that's where um you're supposed to know do all your interviews and stuff and I I always joke and I call it the walk of shame (laughs) because nine nine times out of ten you're walking through there just Walking through there, and you're not getting any questions. You're not right. getting anything, and and it's it's disheartening for sure. It sucks. I mean, everywhere. you see, I see it here every single day how much Nordic skiing is hyped in media. You see it in Norway. You see it. Everywhere. You see it in everywhere. You see it in France. You see it. There's there's always someone there from all those countries, and you know, faster skiers doing what they can to cover it, and um, Nordic Insights is doing what they can. Right. Um, you know, so it's, it's nice. And definitely, I mean, all of us skiers, we really appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, there's all, there's, you always wish you could have more. You always wish you could do a little bit more media, get the story out there, get your story out there. Because now that you see how many people who are watching in Minneapolis, you know, and who are watching it back in North America, they, they want to know more. Yeah. And I, I,
0: yeah, go ahead. Keep on.
1: No, I just wish we could deliver more to them. You know, I know. We do we yeah. do what we can on social media and Instagram, and um, that was kind of partially one of these reasons to start this vlog that Maya and I are doing. It yeah. just it gives people more insight to what we're doing that aren't getting it, and a lot of
0: that is back in North America. I love the vlog, by the way. I was watching it this morning; it's great. <laughs> I, I, I just I had ask had asked you something. Maya was asked something about about in Swedish, and she said Target is the answer. And I was like, "So what was that about? Is she like Target or something?"
1: Probably, we will, I, think, <laughs> oh, I think someone asked her what the most American thing she had done in Minneapolis. And oh, she, there you go, she, yeah. Re, she replied going to Target.
0: Yeah, that's pretty American, that's great. All right, I just had to and clear I, that
1: up. And I just <laughs> rolled my eyes because I think, as everyone knows, when uh, your significant other says we're going to Target quick, I think quick means for about an hour. Minimum. Yeah,
0: quick. <laughs> yeah, and, and she's probably went to, did she go to the Target on Nicollet Mall? I mean, that is the like ground level, that is Target number one right there. That's,
1: that's oh is headquarters. It? Yeah, we, that's the one we went to. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that's that headquarters.
0: headquarters. That's that's, that's, Ted, that's Target headquarters right there. That's the Target store oh, wow. the headquarters. So you let her know that, that she'll be psyched that she saw the the Target store. Oh, well, Kevin, Kevin, I you know, I think that uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to get to the bottom of, of 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 any of this as far as the media coverage goes, but I just think it was really I really wanted to have you on because I'm trying to I'm trying to reconcile the fact that we had 20,000 people show up to an event in Minneapolis without any real consistent coverage of the sport. And, and to me, there's, there's something interesting there. Uh, you know, how do you, how, how do you reconcile that as an athlete? Like, you know, again, final question. Um, how do you reconcile the fact that we had 20,000 people out there and no major television coverage of it ever?
1: I think it's, it's pretty saddening, I mean, for sure. I mean, you see what this sport just did. In the US, you know, people, I mean, I'm sure, sure people laugh at Nordic skiing, but you see what the turnout was, and you know there was people that couldn't get a ticket, that couldn't come, that wanted to watch it. Yeah. And I would say those numbers were pretty damn high. Um, so I, I, wish, I wish there was more being, ha- more being done to fix this problem. And I think, I think Gus Schumacher said it perfectly when he walked through the mix zone. After he won, um, Norwegian media stopped him. And the first thing he said to them, oh, so apparently you need to win a race in order to get stopped by you guys for an interview. <laughs> and it just, it just makes me laugh because, I mean, it's true. Like I said, it's a walk of shame. You walk through there, nothing's happening with the Americans, and you know you win a race, and you finally start getting asked questions. But it's like, yeah. pe- people want to know more. Um, yeah, Whether you're first or you're last, I mean, everyone's out there working equally as hard and everyone's got a cool story to tell and everyone has should have should be able to tell it and everyone should be able to watch it and um so i I wish there was more being done in in the u.s for in terms of media and getting it out there for for viewers
0: well thanks kevin i'm glad that you got to experience this it's a pretty cool it was a pretty cool thing for all of us who love skiing and i think that uh i think we surprised ourselves
1: yeah for sure and you know like you asked me earlier what was it like to race there i mean i i'd Race there for JNs as a J1. I've done JNQs there and then uh, even as a, a super tour there and then to be able to put on the U.S. colors and the U.S. suit at a World Cup at Worth on a place I've raced plenty of times. It, uh, it blew away all my expectations and it was kind of a story tell, uh, fairy tale kind of story with, with having the parents there and having friends and family. So it was damn cool, super special and I, I really, really hope we can get it back.
0: Well, Kevin, thanks for your perspective. I think it was it was an needed one. I think we're all still processing the whole thing, and and it'll probably still go on processing in all of our minds. But uh, but we always have it in our hearts, and it's it's great having you on here to share your experience with us.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Chad, and and uh, appreciate the podcast too for getting another source of media out there for for people to
0: listen to and stay hyped on. Thanks. All right. Good luck the rest of the way this season. All right. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. I've got a Lopit Cup World Cup hangover. I don't drink, so it's not a literal hangover. It's just a figurative and physical hangover that slowly evolved from being tired on Monday to a bug by today. Which, while I thoroughly loved every moment of the Minneapolis World Cup, clearly, I had some underlying stress with it all. That when allowed to finally let my guard down, I caught something. My job talking on NBC was not among the hardest last weekend on the venue, not by a long shot. But it was emotional. I know emotionally the sickness response tells me I was invested to the success that Minneapolis ultimately was, and a huge part of me wants to just sit back and glow in it. But I am an analyst, if nothing else, and so I continue to analyze cough by blasted cough well into the night, which leaves me in a place at the moment that I'm struggling to reconcile despite the glow of the event itself. I used to make a nice living commentating on Nordic sports. Then, like so many things, COVID hit and everything changed. Bottom lines from diapers to milk to cars to television coverage got scrubbed and analyzed for the cost and profit and all. And that job came to an end because the numbers just didn't warrant the expense when they came under the scrutiny of a business losing lots of money. Your love for watching ski racing with professional American commentators didn't wane any more than my desire to do the work. Based on social media, if you were at worth, you were absolutely lifted. If you weren't, you got a shot of instant FOMO, or fear of missing out. And for good reason. So some of you want to know where you can relive what you missed out on, and some of you want to know where you can relive what you saw. And that, unfortunately, is not straightforward. Since NBC owned the rights and aired the events on national, cable, and network television, they control where they end up in the world. I don't know how they make their profits, so I can't say why they are not readily available. But you have to think it has to do something with a bottom line somewhere that perhaps no fan will ever understand. I'm sorry if my responses to that frustration feel under addressed, but I know nothing and have zero ability to do anything about it. The details of television programming are not in the realm of the commentators, or even the fans for that matter. I recognize that when I am on NBC, I represent NBC. But that's about it. I have exactly the amount of control of what comes out of my mouth, and it ends there. But what's messing with me is the disconnect between the throngs of people at Worth Park, the outpouring of love for the sport we all witnessed, and the inability to watch the sport with any consistency on any media with professional American commentators. And the hardest part of it is, I don't even know where to begin to break down that gap. But I know it starts with the cost of producing the images, not the cost of the commentators. Have you ever looked into booking a television truck to televise a live sporting event? Start there. Then the numbers of cameras, cameramen, feet of cable, and the people who know how to lay that cable and connect it to the truck so that it actually works. Then the people who know how to produce those images that reach your eyeballs in any cohesive fashion. They all need to make a living. The commentating is the final cherry on the top of it all. And when you add that up, it's a lot of money. Stiefel and the Lopez Foundation bid it off. Then they got it on NBC. Have you priced an hour on Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC? My ultimate point is, I don't know where the sweet spot is for cross-country skiing in American media. I'm not sure anybody does, and I don't think it's going to change on a dime. So, it is what it is, my friend. In the meantime, any chance I get... You can bet I'll be doing my best to deliver ski racing as the exciting sport it is to whomever the images and sounds reach, as long as I can afford to do that personally. The gap of getting that to you is probably somewhere out there measured in hits of interest being calculated against that cost. So where does that leave Minneapolis in the scheme of U.S. cross-country ski racing? I don't know about you, but I just want to remember how it felt to be there. More than that, I want Kevin to remember it. That's almost enough for me. It probably has to be. That's special for this episode. I'm Chad Sotmala. Thanks for listening.